you have your Bible with you, you can open to Habakkuk, chapter 2, Habakkuk. If you say Habakkuk, that's fine too. You'd be wrong, but it's fine. (laughs) Before we get into the Word of God, I think we should talk to God. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you are God and our Savior, and we ask that you would come now in a profound and powerful way to illuminate and enlighten your word through this, the work and the power of your Holy Spirit. Ask for his guidance and his words alone that would come out of my mouth and that you would be working in every heart as you cast a vision for your church and your kingdom. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So a year ago today, we launched our new mission. And our mission was God's glory, our joy. Because we believe that those two elements are, that that God being glorified is the priority in all of existence. So the the question... You know what? Just bring it up. I'll put it in the mic. I'll take this Sunday off again. I'm cool with that. Let someone else preach. I'm just kidding. Hey, I asked the Holy Spirit to speak. I, I, that's what he wanted to say. You know, they make them out of paper, too. Um, so, anyways... Uh, It is our priority in life to glorify God. That is the reason anything exists, right? So the whole question that people ask, you know, what is the meaning of life? God's glory, that's the meaning of life. What is my purpose in life? To glorify God. What is the meaning of my life? To glorify God. That's always the answer. That's the highest, most important, greatest thing that we can do. That's the pinnacle of our existence is glorifying God. But the means by which we glorify God the most is when we are most satisfied in Him, right? Just think about that relationship, any relationship you have with another human. The best way to honor someone that you have a relationship with is to enjoy them the most, right? So the way that um, my wife feels most honored by me is when she is my greatest desire as a human, right? If I desired someone more than my wife, would that honor her? Not nearly as much as if she were my greatest human desire, right? And so the same is true in our relationship with God. God is most glorified in us and we're most satisfied in Him because us being satisfied in Him shows Him, reveals to Him and to us that He is the greatest thing that exists for us. So that's why that's our mission. God's glory, our joy. Those two things are inseparable. In order for Grace Church or for you as an individual to glorify God, you have to be satisfied in Him, and He has to be your greatest joy. So that's our mission. And that mission, it's our foundation. And it can change one day, but for the foreseeable future, that is pretty well set in stone as our primary motivating desire as a church, that God is glorified and we're satisfied in Him. So that's going to stay there for a while. Um, then we've got a vision. And I've said this many times. The vision, our vision, is the vehicle 
that we take to get to that mission. So whereas the mission stays kind of set in stone, the, ve the, the vehicle that gets us there, that's our vision. That's our action. That's what we're going to do. And when we finish it, we make a new one. And the old one doesn't just go away. It becomes a building block, a foundation to our building that is the kingdom of God and this church. And we take that finished vision and we set it, in the, we set it on the foundation and we make a new block, a new vision. And we achieve that vision. And when we finish that vision, we take it and we put it next to the other block and we build God's kingdom vision by vision. With our eyes constantly set on our mission to glorify God and be satisfied in him. So our vision right now is discipling each generation. And that vision, that vision to, to basically make disciples in each age group stands on top of three pillars. Now, I know most of you have, I'd say maybe half of you, are probably like, yeah, yeah, we know this, we heard it, we've been hearing it for a year. Some people have never even heard what our mission and vision is. You know, I just told you a few minutes ago, 17 people who are going to become new members of Grace Church in a month. Right? So that... That, that's a significant change in, in numerically, but it also tells me, number one, that our vision's working, and number two, that people need to know it. And I'll explain as we get into Habakkuk more why people need to know it. But for those of you who already know this, this is a very healthy reminder. For those of you who don't, this is our mission, this is our vision. And this vision of discipling each generation stands on three pillars. And these pillars are the actions that we take. They're the ministries that we do to fulfill this vision. The three pillars are children's ministry, life groups, and a yet-to-be-determined future outreach ministry. So as of right now, we've already established the first pillar, and it's good. Okay? This fall, we start the second pillar, and then the following year, we start the third pillar of outreach. Now, that's a three-year plan. That's a long time. But when you compare it to what happens in Habakkuk 2, God has a 10-year plan. Actually, if you add it all up, an 80-year plan. So you can imagine the impatience of the Israelites. Well, we live in a much more, I think, maybe more fast-paced culture. And so three years is like, oh, it's going to take forever. Let's get on with it, man. Let's just make this vision happen. Let's go, let's go, let's go. And I think it would be normal to have that attitude. You know, we got people, we got money, let's get moving. I got ideas for outreach, I got ideas for life group, I got so many ideas and desires and plans and thoughts. Let's do this, let's do this, let's do this, let's go. But in Habakkuk 2, God reminds us of two things. Be patient. Have faith. Okay? So, before we can understand how to do God's vision for us, our vision that God gave us, we first must understand how God manages vision and for that, we go to Habakkuk 2, verses 2 through 4. Now, before I read the text, some things I have to say. When, I think it's tricky going to an Old Testament text and making a beeline from that text to the modern church. Because it's, it's, it's actually, there should not be a beeline from an Old Testament situation to the modern church. First thing we have to do is understand this Old Testament text in its original context. So there is application for the church today in the Old Testament and specifically in this text. But we derive that application from understanding the text in its original meaning, in its original context. So though we're talking about the vision of Grace Church, we are reading of a vision that God gave Habakkuk for Israel concerning his judgment 
for their evil. So this is not relatable to us. We're not going through that. But there are principles that we can withdraw from how God behaves that we can apply to, how, to what our vision is. So the prophet Habakkuk sees in Israel this immense evil. They're just completely wicked. They have no desire for God. They're absolutely pursuing only their own selfish, evil desires. And Habakkuk hates evil, and he loves God and loves God's righteousness. So out of his hatred for evil and his love for righteousness, that's a good thing. Habakkuk's got his mind in the right place. Out of that motivation, he calls on God to come and deal with the evil of his people. And then God's response to Habakkuk is that he will deal with their evil, but the way he'll deal with their evil is by sending another evil nation, Babylon, to come and conquer Israel and conquer Jerusalem and take Israel captive, which he does 10 years later. So he tells Habakkuk this, and then approximately 10 years later, he actually does it, sends Babylon to destroy Jerusalem and Israel and take the people captive, and they go into captivity for 70 years. So from the start of this vision to the completion of this vision is 80 years like, there are people who, got take, who, got took, who were taken captive and then died in captivity and never saw the vision come life. I mean, just think about Israel in the desert. Forty years wandering the desert. That's half. We think of that as like, oh, 40 years. That's half of the captivity. The Babylonian captivity. So, you imagine being, say, 30 years old. And you got a young family, and Babylon comes and takes over your family and takes you into captivity, and you've got this promise that God's got a plan for you still, <laughs> but you die in captivity and never see it come to life. So you can imagine why people are like, come on, God, the vision, let's go, let's go, let's go. You said you'd do this. We, you said that you'd send someone evil, but then you also said that you'd save us and rescue us. So... Make it happen. So people get impatient. And Habakkuk's impatient. He's like, wait a second, God. You're telling me that the Israelites, our people who are evil, you're going you're gonna to deal with it, but you're going to deal with it by sending an evil nation. So your answer to evil is evil? And God's like, yeah. I mean, there's more to it than that, Habakkuk. You're not really seeing the full picture here, but trust me, I got it figured out. Habakkuk doesn't understand He's got, he's, I, I think he's, if you read the first two chapters, you can, the first chapter really, you can sense his frustration. Because in verse 13, he's like, God, why do you sit by idly and do nothing? God's like, I'll do something. He's like, okay, good, what are you going to do? I'm going to send Babylon. Wait a minute, God, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not my vision, God. God's like, this isn't about you or your vision. It's about me and my vision. And I think that's ultimately where we need to get to the point of is realizing that God has a plan. When he makes a vision, he's got a plan, and he will do it. And if, if you take this Habakkuk text today, and you summarize it into just like maybe one quick sentence, it's this. I've got a vision. Write it down. Make it known. It will happen. Trust me. Okay? Now, Habakkuk doesn't understand the plan. He doesn't understand 
the God's plan to answer evil with evil. So God says to Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 4, have faith. I know what I'm doing. So the vision here, you can see how different that scenario is to what we're going through as a church. It isn't relatable at all. You know? And so this vision for Habakkuk and for Israel is not a vision for us. It was a specific vision for Israel in 600 B.C. However, there are principles about God and his vision here that are applicable for us today. And God promises to fulfill this vision in Israel which will cause the Jews to be enslaved for 70 years. But what Habakkuk does not know is that there is a, I mean, he, there is a contemporary prophet at the same time as Habakkuk by the name of Jeremiah. And while God's giving Habakkuk this vision of how he's going to deal with the evil of Israel by putting them in captivity, he gives Jeremiah at the same time this promise from Jeremiah 29.11. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Now, you might put that on a plaque and give it to a graduate, but that's not what this is about. This isn't a graduation verse. This is a you're in captivity for 70 years and need help verse. So, sometimes we take a verse like this. It's a very common, popular Christian verse. It is true, though. You can give you know, a graduate a plaque that says it on. That's fine, because it is true. God does know the plans he has for you. Absolutely. And if you're a believer, there are plans for a great future of great hope. So, go ahead. Give your graduates a Jeremiah 29 plaque. That's fantastic. But within this context, what we really have to see is God is making a promise to Israel that what he tells Habakkuk, you're going to go into captivity for 70 years. He also tells Jeremiah, I will rescue you. So Israel just wants this vision to happen. He wants, they want to be rescued, to be saved. And so they get a little impatient. Wouldn't you? If some other nation came in and invaded America and took us over, and for 70 years, we got, I don't know, like North Korea came by and took us all. <laughs> we got shipped over to North Korea for 70 years. Wouldn't you be like, come on, God, hurry up. I don't want to go through this anymore. I think we'd feel that. So this vision for Habakkuk has very specific, detailed promises. But we do not have, we do not have such promises for God's vision for Grace Church. God never promises us that he will fulfill our specific vision. But there are principles in this text that reveal to us how, God's, how God works with his vision, and those realities are things that we can trust and count on. And, and also, if you think about it, our, our vision is a biblical vision. Like, our current vision is essentially to make disciples, right? Right? Discipling each generation. That's our desire. We're making disciples. Well, number one, that's a biblical command from Jesus. Make disciples. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. And not only that, but it's guaranteed to work because Jesus says in Matthew 16 18 I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it and we look at first Thessalonians 4 and we look at the entire letter of Revelation of John's Revelation and what we see is at the end the church succeeds the church prevails the church still stands 
And so we have this promise that discipleship is going to work. We're commanded to do it, and we're promised it works. So I'm feeling pretty good about our vision of making disciples. Now that promise that discipleship will continue is something we can count on. But we cannot say that Habakkuk 2 assures us that our vision will work. Rather, we can say that Habakkuk 2 shows us how God maneuvers in vision. And mixing that with these biblical promises we have about discipleship, we can look at our vision and say, I know God's going to do this. And, And that gives me hope. That gives me hope that God is going to fulfill this vision at Grace Church. And with hope in hand, we ask God for faith. I don't want to wonder if God will fulfill the vision that we believe he has given to us. I don't want to wonder. I want to know with absolute certainty that we are pursuing his purpose and his vision for this church. And if that is true, which I fully believe it is, that he's going to do this, then I know that he will do it because we are asking according to his will. We're asking God to do something that I know is his will. Now look at 1 John 5. It says, if you can ask God for anything according to his will, you get it. That's a promise. I know we're asking for God's will. To make disciples, now it's on us to do it. So, there are two principles from Habakkuk 2 that we can withdraw from this text concerning our church's vision. So the first principle is the principle of ownership. Ownership. Verse 2. God says to Habakkuk, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. The entire purpose of a vision for the church is so that together we do it. We fulfill it, and we pursue it, and we achieve it. Together, as a unit, united in one central idea. We've got one motivating mission to be satisfied in God and for God to be glorified. And we're all doing the same thing. We're all driving the same vehicle, which is our vision, to this mission. We cannot do that together unless all of us know it. And, and, and know it well, and it, that it motivates us as a congregation. So how can I expect you to take ownership of our mission and our vision, or specifically to take ownership of our vision, if you don't know it or see it or hear it or talk about it so that you can't pursue it? I can't expect that from you. I can't expect you to take ownership and become a part of the vision if you don't hear about it and see it. That's the reason I'm preaching it again. I preached it a year ago. I updated you maybe six months later, and now I'm preaching it again. I want to keep you on your toes. I want you involved. I want you to stay motivated. It's like putting something in front of you and saying, this is what we're after. And then as you start running, you get tired. You need that motivation. You need that that cheerleader to come and say, you're doing a great job. Keep going. Don't forget what you're running for. I want to keep it fresh on your mind and ready in your heart. And additionally, by repeating the vision to you, by preaching it to you, by writing it on the walls. Now, it's not on our walls right now. I want to write it on our walls, but the wall that I want to write it on is the same wall we're going to tear down this summer because we're going to remodel the bathrooms 
and move the men's room down the hall, okay? And since I just said it from the pulpit, it's officially going to happen. So, <laughs> this is one of the things I like about being the pastor is I can just say whatever I want up here. No one can stop me until it comes out of my mouth. No, I'm kidding. So, um, we're gonna, I want to put it on that wall back there in the hallway. I want you to see the vision. Why? Because God said, write it down. He said tablets because that was their kind of form of making things known. I want it on the wall. I want you to walk into this building. Every time you walk in, you, you see that vision. You go, that's what we're after. Discipling each generation. That's our vision. And when we're done with that, we'll tear that wall down and build a new one. Maybe we'll just erase it instead of tearing the wall down. But we're going to do this vision, and I want the vision seen and known. I want it written on the walls. That's why it's on the weekly refresh every week, and I know you get this, it's, it's formatted the same every week, so maybe you just kind of whiz by it now, but it's always there as a reminder what our mission and our vision is. And it helps to do one thing. It keeps us in line together. When the vision is constantly remembered, it allows us to move at the pace of the vision instead of your own pace. Instead of the pace that you want to move at. Because all of us are different and we all move at different paces, right? There are different personalities in this building right now. Okay, and, and that will affect how each of us works toward our vision because we're different people. We have different paces. We have different motivations. We have different desires. We have different ideas. Some of us are, are processors, right? Slow to act because before action takes place... Everything must be analyzed first. We need a hearty analysis of what steps to take. So slow down, process the information, and then let's move forward. And some of you are doers, and you're like, I don't have time to wait around. What, I'm not going to wait for tomorrow to do what can get done today. It just needs to get done. So I'm going to do it. And so we've got different people with different mentalities, different personalities that could totally move at different paces. But regardless of your personality or regardless of your pace, we have this truth from Proverbs 29:18. It says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Without a vision, we lose unity. Restraints are not meant to keep you down or to keep you controlled. Restraints are like a yoke. Okay, so like in ancient Near East, a yoke was a piece of wood that would go over an ox. They'd have two oxen, and they'd put this curved piece of wood that went over the neck of two oxen. It was one piece, and it's laid on top of two oxen. And then you think of like a, um, a what are those U-shaped bike locks, you know, bicycle locks that you see on bike racks, and it's just a hard U-shaped piece of metal that locks in. Okay, so once you've got that wooden yoke over the top of the oxen's neck, you take this U-shaped thing and it goes around their neck underneath and then locks in the wooden piece behind. So it keeps the two oxen connected by one piece of wood. So by keeping them united, what it does is it ensures that they both move in the same direction and at the same pace. It was literally impossible for them to oppose each other. And then on the yoke were reins that the farmer would use to move. And as he directed, or as he moved, both oxen went that direction. If the farmer put individual yokes on 
each of the oxen, then they would go their own direction, and the farmer would not be able to fulfill his purpose, which is to plow or till a field or till some grain. So to restrain the oxen kept them in line with the vision of the farmer. So also a vision for the church, a vision from God, God, a vision for God's people, keeps God's people from wandering off on their own, and we then lose unity as a local body. So restraints are not harmful. They're helpful. It's slavery, which is good. That's really what it is. It's slavery to God and his vision, and that's good. And if the idea of being a slave to God's vision offends you, then you're not going to like it when we read verses like Romans 6.22 that says, Now that you have been set free from sin, you have become slaves of God. Almost every letter that Paul writes to the churches, he calls himself a slave to Christ. Slavery to God is freedom. Biblical slavery is nothing like our idea of slavery that we get from American history. That's not what slavery is. I mean, that's not what biblical slavery is. Slavery to God is freedom. Freedom from sin and freedom to do righteousness. So your slavery to God and to his vision for this church is not harsh. It's freeing and joyful and meant to keep us all in line together. It restrains us from all wandering off and doing our own things. And that is the purpose of restraint. That is why the church needs a vision. The vision is your restraint. The vision is how we stay united. It keeps us from going off and doing our own thing. It keeps the church from division and chaos and disorder. By making the vision known to you and reminding it, you of it and, and preaching it to you and talking about it and taking steps toward achieving it, we are restraining you for your freedom to God's vision, which will glorify God and it will satisfy you. So this is not about God restraining your freedom. This is about God's desire for you to take ownership of this vision, to choose to get into the yoke, to choose to take the bike lock and stick it around your neck and say, I'm going to attach myself to God's vision for this church. And it might feel like slavery, but it's freedom because in God's vision and in God's plan and in God's purpose, there is your greatest joy and his greatest glory. So we repeat this vision to you as often as possible so that you can take it and do as God says. Run with it. That's why we want to put it on the wall. That's why it's repeated. So you can take it and run with it. That's why God told Habakkuk to write it on tablets and make it plain, make it visible, let people see it so they can see the vision and go, that's our vision, let me take it and run with it. And that's the whole purpose of us communicating the vision to you repetitively so you cannot forget it, so you can take that vision and we can go to town and get to discipling. And so that when it hits May, and all the people who are helping with Kidtown Ministry go, Oh, I am so tired. <laughs> or, Woo, what a long year. Or, These kids, this ministry is great, but it's exhausting. After a year of giving and giving and giving and giving and giving, you just get tired. Or maybe just, you start maybe even growing, maybe a bad attitude about it. So when we're doing 
the vision, when we're fulfilling the ministries that get us to that vision, and we get wore down or exhausted or complacent or crabby or irritable or annoyed or frustrated with the vision and with the ministry, we get this reminder. That's why I'm reminding you to come in, to intercede and say, listen, this is not, I know on a day-by-day basis you can get tired, but there is a vision that we are pursuing. And if you take a step back from your moments of just kind of like feeling all the exhaustion from that ministry and realize, if you step back and look at the big picture, what you'll see is what God is really doing. The vision is happening. It's taking place. We're doing it. It's getting fulfilled. You're restrained. And it's exhausting. But yeah, ministry is going to cost you some energy and some time. And probably some money. And probably some other things. And when we start to have to sacrifice, we start giving things up, we start getting tired, we need to be reminded, take this vision, run with it. Don't give up. Don't lack. Don't slow down. Finish the race. Be like a good athlete. Fight the good fight. Don't give up. Pick up the baton and keep running. And that's the reason we need to see it and hear it. So we're reminded so we can keep going. So essentially, to say this first principle of of ownership, the simplest way to say it is get on board. Get on board with the vision here. Now the second principle takes that idea of getting on board and it adds another element. So the first principle is get on board. And the next principle is get on board and move at our pace. When I say our pace, I don't mean my pace or the elder's pace, but the congregation's pace. So the second principle from Habakkuk 2 is faith. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. We live in a culture that tells us we move too fast. I think we live in a culture that moves too fast. Maybe not too fast, but fast. I mean, I've heard it most of my adult life. I've heard this repeated so many times. You know, when we were kids, we were running around, busy all the time. This generation of kids are too busy, too many sports, too many activities, too many extracurriculars, too many... Too many friends, too many events, there's just too much going on, they're just, they're too busy. And that may be true from generation to generation, that, that there's this shift in the speed of life. But this isn't new today. 2,600 years ago, God knew Israel was just as impatient as we are. And they wanted that vision to get fulfilled, but... The prophet Habakkuk was impatient too, and and he demanded, God, come deal with this. Like I told you earlier, chapter 1, verse 13. Come on, God, let's go. Why do you sit by idly and watch your people do evil things? And God's like, dude, chill. I got a plan. It's going to happen. And he tells Habakkuk, really, ultimately, in modern terms, to chill out, to calm down. I got a plan. I got a vision. It's going to come. It will not delay. I know it seems slow to you, but you got to trust me. It will happen in its right time. When God determines to fulfill a vision, 
He sets with it an appointed time when it will be complete. We don't know when that is. I mean, we, I just told you we got a three-year plan. What if it turns into a five-year plan? I don't control that. God does. So we might cast before you a vision that we think is kind of a three, maybe four-year plan, but we don't know what God's timing is. So what happens when we get to year three and we're like, come on, I thought we were supposed to be done with this vision. We're still back on year two and it's already year three. Let's go. I'm going to refer you back to Habakkuk 2.3. Be patient. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So what does this mean to us? It means we must have faith. We have to trust God. You can't take ownership of a vision and then say, oh, this is my vision. No, this is God's vision for our church. You take ownership of the vision under the leadership of God, which means with ownership of the vision, you must also exercise faith. Trust and confidence in the one whose vision it is. So if the vision is, ever seems to move slow or it ever feels off course, it's not. God is working at his pace. Look at verse 4. God says, Behold, his soul is puffed up, it is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. So the first part of that verse is, it refers to those who are impatient, those who cannot wait for the fulfillment of God's vision. So they complain, and they're whine, and they're dis, 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 they are disgruntled, and they grumble because they aren't getting what they want when they want it. And honestly, that's the culture we live in. I want what I want, and I want it now. I mean, why wouldn't we be that way? You can open your phone and order groceries for the whole week in about 30 seconds, and they'll show up on your doorstep tomorrow morning. Why wouldn't we get what we want when we want it? You can go on an app and, you know, swipe left or swipe right. I like you, I don't like you. I like you, I don't like you. I like you, I don't like you. We didn't have that option when we were younger. We had to go to buildings and see if people were there, and then we had to talk to them face to face. So... It's just a different culture where you get instant gratification and instant satisfaction. You can go on Netflix and pick anything you want. Whenever you want. You can watch as many times as you want. Pay one low, flat rate and you get all the entertainment you want. And what they've discovered, actually, is that what this kind of endless satisfaction and immediate gratification... I'm struggling with that word today. Um, what if... What it gets us is not happiness and not joy, but only discontentment. They did this study with ice cream. They gave a bunch of people like 30 flavors of ice cream. They said, pick one. And they gave, these, they gave another group of people two choices, chocolate or vanilla. All right? And so you got like 30 different crazy flavors, and then over here two flavors, and two different groups. And the people who had to choose between 30 flavors, when they picked their flavor, and they asked them how satisfied they were with their choice, those people were significantly less satisfied than the group who only had two choices. With their two choices, they said, I picked vanilla and it was delicious. Because they don't feel like they missed out. They only missed out on chocolate. These people missed out on 29 opportunities. <laughs> I mean, my wife and I will be like, all right, movie night, what do you want to watch? Two hours later, I guess we're not watching anything. <laughs> But we got a list of movies we will watch one day. 
And we just end up totally unsatisfied. And then we watch the movie, we finally pick one and watch it, and we're like, meh, should have watched the other one. It's just endless dissatisfaction, because that's the culture we live in. And so then we get a vision from God. And like, God, people, this is what God's doing. It's going to take three years. Do you realize that three years to our culture is like 80 years to the Israelites? Like, that's the cultural equivalent almost. Three years to do something? I don't have time for that. Isn't there an app for that? We can get it done in like a week, right? So we have to, we have to slow down. And I'm not saying we can't move at high paces at certain times. We certainly can. And we have. And we will when we're supposed to. But God trusts the vision. Okay? And so we've got this, in the first part of verse 4, this idea of just this, the, the the person who's not upright is impatient. And then he compares it to this other person. The person who's righteous. Because the person who is righteous shall live by his faith. Those who are righteous, that's us, the church. We are made righteous by the righteousness of Christ that he gives to us by dying on the cross and taking our sins and giving us his perfection, giving us his righteousness. That's us. If you believe the gospel, you're righteous in God's eyes. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. And who do the, how do the righteous live? By faith. Now, I've said this to you before. Faith, for me personally, just as an individual, this is not speaking of us as a church, but just me personally, is not my thing. I am way, way too cynical and critical and analytical to have faith. So when someone tells me God's going to do it, I'm like, mm, hold on a second. I've got verses that tell me that you're wrong. Um, I, hold on, before we even start jumping into things, without thinking, slow down. Let's analyze it. Give me a month. I'll get back to you. And then people who are genuinely have faith are like, dude, you're killing me. Do you even believe that God exists? Right? So, like, for me to move at a pace that I don't like and to do it with faith feels very uncomfortable. So to stand before you and be like, I've got a three-year plan. To me, that's hard. Because I'm like, do you even realize how many things could go wrong in three years? <laughs> like, a year from now could be totally different. And then, I'm, then the, then the three-year plan is going to be all off whack. And it won't be a three-year plan anymore. And then people are going to be like, oh, the three-year plan fell apart. Pastor Mark doesn't know what he's doing. Ah, you know, like all those thoughts go through my head. And then I read this verse, I'm like, Mark, that is not God talking to you. That is not the Spirit of God speaking in your heart. That is the enemy whispering in your ear. I said to my, I literally said to my wife yesterday, I, <laughs> you're like, well, that's way too close. What, is it, what do you say yesterday and you're preaching today? I said, I don't want to preach this sermon. I really don't. I did not like it. So at like 5 o'clock last night, I was like, I think I'm just going to throw this away and start over fresh. Pick a different verse. Talk about something completely different. And I was like, no. I, 
I had the conviction months ago that on May 23rd, the anniversary of casting our vision, would be the day when I'm going to remind them of the vision. I'm going to preach it again. I'm going to say it again. And then as I started writing, I'm like, oh, I hate this sermon. I'm throwing it away. Because I just struggle with faith. I really have a hard time just believing. I'm just being honest and open with you guys. I mean, I could stand here and be like, you, it, the reason I'm being honest with you is because I'm telling you to have faith. Amen. And then I'm the guy who doesn't. <laughs> and so I might as well just be honest with you that I'm preaching to myself. If there's anybody in this room who needs to hear the message, have faith. It's me. Because it, to me, honestly, it takes a lot of faith to stand up here and tell you that God's going to do something. Because if he doesn't, I look bad. <laughs> so I have to have faith. And at the same time, I know I don't. But I trust God. And that is faith. And I believe that God is doing something awesome here. I can see it. And I know you can too. And I know that if we would just trust his vision, just trust the process, just trust the process, God's going to do some awesome things here. And listen, I don't just mean here. Because if we are grace church central, grace church focused, internalized, then we're no good to the world. We're no good to a lost culture. Our first two pillars build up our church internally. So that when we reach our third pillar, we are equipped and ready to go into the community and reach lost souls. That's the purpose. And in order to move forward in that, we have to believe and trust that God is at work. And I think he is. So our vision is a three-year plan. Year one, children's ministry. Done. Working. It's great. Families love it. Parents love it. Kids love it. The community loves it. The workers and the volunteers who are doing it, they love it. It's fantastic. And honestly, I just hope it keeps growing. In fact, all year, it just kept growing. And we got a lot of work to do, wouldn't you say? We got a lot of finagling to do. We only want to make it better and better and better every year. Year two, life groups. We already have plans in place, people to facilitate, and it will be ready to go this fall. Year three, outreach. What does outreach look like? I don't know. How's that for a vision? I don't know. <laughs> so what's your vision for outreach? <laughs> so I, even though I'm analytical, I am a doer. I like to get things done. I don't like to sit on my hands and do nothing. I like to solve problems. In fact, I don't think it's just me. I think it's men in general. And women are certainly that way too. I think men tend to be more that way, just in personality, kind of solve problems, get them done, take care of. And, and so it's easy to just say, all right, let's get to these steps, these years. Let's get to these pillars and get them taken care of. But we've got to trust God. That's why we must have faith. I don't know what outreach looks like. So I had to trust God. I got to work through year two without worrying about year three. And what i got to believe is that when we get done with year two, so a year from today, we will have, we'll be ending our second year of Kid Town, and we'll be, end, we'll be eight, nine months into life groups, which will continue. And we're going to be looking at outreach. 
And we're going to have a plan and an idea and a concept of what we're going to do. So I say a year from now, we're going to have two pillars done, working on the third. Is that really what's going to happen? I hope so. Do I know? No. I just have to trust God. I have to have faith in God that he's going to work. I have to be patient and let him work. So the enactment and continual fulfillment of our first two pillars that we already got underway, I think that that is how God will create the third. I have to believe that as he works on these first two pillars, the third one will naturally and organically and authentically just grow in this church. I don't have to create a... I hate programs. I just want to say this. One of the things I hated about being a pastor early in my ministry is I got there and all these, my leaders told me, you got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this and you got to do that. And I was like, man, you're handcuffing me. Ministry is not programs. It is life. It is living with people. It is conversation and love and prayer and community and blessings and studying together and eating meals together and coming to each other's aid in times of pain and suffering, reading the Bible together, being at church together, drinking coffee together. It's doing life together. That's why we're doing life groups, to do life together. And I want our outreach, that whatever it will look like, to be the natural, organic product of genuine, Christ-centered, God-loving, spirit-saturated relationships that are happening in this church. And I believe that that's what's going to happen. But if I don't preach this text to you and tell you the vision is meant to restrain you, and we all start running our own direction, that's never going to happen. And that's why I say, get on board, and let's move at the same pace. Let's fulfill this vision together. So I'm comfortable not having my thumb pressed down in the details of our third pillar of a future outreach because I know and I believe, I mean, I have faith. Believe it or not, I have absolute trust and faith in what God is going to do. And if he does something completely different than what I'm thinking, which happens 100% of the time to me, you guys ever notice that when you got like a plan? You're like, this is what I'm going to do. And then God does something totally different. You're like, I couldn't have even scripted that in a novel. And he just does his thing. And you're like, that was so much better than my version. Right? And I'm, I'm so sure of it. That's why I got to trust him. I'm like, here's the thing. I'm telling you what our vision is. And I, and, and I could put together some details like, okay, this is what we're going to do for outreach. And this is what life groups is going to look like. And, 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 and hey, we have to make a plan. Right? Proverbs tells us, man makes his plans, but God establishes each step. So we make our plan. Oh, God wants us to. Organized, ordered, directed. But we make that plan, we got to jump into faith and go, all right, God, we made the plan. You do the walking. You establish each step. What direction are we going? And we trust him along the way. And we watch him organically authentically and naturally produce real ministry in churches. And this is why I hate programs, because it's not real ministry. It's a program. Real ministry comes from somebody's heart and mind who hates the idea that there is a person I know in this world who's going to die and spend eternity in hell. I hate that tears me up inside, and I can't live with that reality. So I have to do what is, needs to be done. I have to reach 
those souls for Jesus because we are not building Grace Church. We are building God's kingdom. And so we must have faith. Not just that God's going to fulfill this specific vision for Grace Church, but that God is going to work in you and in your heart and your mind and produce fruit for his kingdom. And I want to be a church that's doing it. Not a church that's on the outside of the community looking in as other Christians and other churches are doing it, but joining them in in, in building God's kingdom in this valley. That's my heart's desire. I want it to be your heart's desire. And that's going to come from genuine faith that truly wants to see God at work and see his kingdom grow. And that's why we have this vision. To restrain you into that tunnel that is building God's kingdom. That's not slavery. That's not slavery from freedom. That's slavery to the ultimate freedom. Obeying, trusting God and doing his will. So, trust the process. Do not be impatient. Trust God's process. Trust his vision. Trust his leadership in this church. And and, and have faith that God is going to fulfill his vision for Grace Church in his perfect timing that brings him the most glory and gives us the most joy. So, get on board, take ownership, and let's do this together. Have faith. Let's build God's kingdom according to his vision for this church at the pace that he sets. If we do, if we do that together, I can promise you, I can promise you joy and satisfaction in God as we glorify him by making disciples in the community. Let's pray. Father, you are too good to us. We don't deserve any of it. But we love you and we thank you. And because you're good to us, we get to recognize how good you are to us. And you're not just good to us, you're good to others. You're even good to sinners who don't know you. You give them sunshine and you give them rain, just like you give us. But what they don't have is Christ, and we want them to know Christ. So you've implanted a vision in Grace Church. I pray that you would help all of us believe it, have faith in it, and work together toward it. Help us all get on board and move at your pace. And let us trust you and develop in us genuine, real relationships and then produce the fruit of real ministry. Build your kingdom here, God. Let us be your instruments. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.